Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Today, well, let me just tell you about Friday. Can I tell you about Friday? This is after a big week of VBS, and then uh, a couple folks in our family, uh, we got handed some tickets to the Strohs, which is awesome. So a couple of kids got to take a friend. We all went down. And this is like, um, these are serious tickets. Club-level tickets. I didn't buy them. They got handed to me, okay? So we, we did that. We were like uh, right up above home plate, section 220. It was, it was primo kind of stuff. Saw a couple of church members there um, and, and uh, they, like in a different section. Fun, fun, fun night. We get to the end. At, well, excuse me. It was a fun night in terms of the family experience. In terms of the baseball experience, not so much because hitting five batters in a single game is probably not good for your pitching staff. I was a basketball guy, but I just know that hitting five batters in a single game is not really how you want to put people, the, other, the opposing team on base. Anyway, baseball commentary aside, um, we got done. We lost uh, by a run. But it's Friday night. So Friday night home games mean fireworks. That's exactly right. So the roof comes back. It was cool because the uh, fireworks were movie themed. So um, set to soundtracks. And uh, there's some like amazing stuff they can do with fireworks now. They were playing uh, Harry Potter, I guess, one of the things. And they were like, they shot off these fireworks that like stayed in the air and they didn't pop. They just like buzzed around. It was really amazing. And they had some other directional stuff. It was really, really, really well done. And then, uh, so we're sitting there just in our seats watching this thing unfold. Unbelievable. So cool. And um, I I noticed that there are, you know, families of players and that kind of thing out on the field. And their kids are completely unruly. They're just running around and missing the fireworks altogether, right? Like they just do this. And then the thought hit me. This is their normal Friday night, right? Like they, just, they show up, they go out on the field, they run around, and people shoot fireworks above their heads because that's kind of their normal. I, I did a little reflecting on the way home and thought to myself, uh, how often does our routine dull us to the spectacular that's going on around us? And then I thought about this text. For t- this morning. Th- this text, if you've been around church at all, you've probably encountered this text. You've probably read it, heard it, talked about it, seen it as an example, whatever. How often does the routine dull us to the spectacular? And so I want to jump in here and read this spectacular text in John chapter 6 and then um, uh, just give you a couple of words for us to think about as we work our way as we work our way through it. John chapter 6. This is right after Jesus feeds the thousands upon thousands, the multitude. John chapter 6 verse 15. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started to cross uh, the sea to Capernaum. It was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. They had rowed about three or four miles. That's uh, about halfway across um, uh, the, the sea there, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, It's I, 
Don't be afraid. They were glad to take him into the boat immediately. The boat was at the land which they were going. So I, I just want to just set out a couple of things here for, uh, for us. And the, the, the construction um, of the sermon goes like this. That Jesus has all the authority and all the power. That, that's, if John wrote the gospel that you and I, he, he wrote his, his book so that you and I would believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life in his name, then the thing I think we need to hold on to from this particular text and not get dulled by the routine of talking about a story that we've talked about before or thinking about a story that we've thought about before, it is that we would believe this that Jesus has the authority and the power that exists in the world when uh, uh, Jesus the last words that he spoke to his followers on the earth uh, before he ascended to the throne of God um, were, were these they, he started his great commission with actually these words all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth all of it you don't think that's a fantastic claim I mean there's no other realm in which you could walk, like you can't walk into your office or walk into the grocery store afterwards today or sit at a restaurant and be like, hey, people, I just want you to know all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you can't do that in any other realm. Jesus makes that claim. It's the reason why at the end of the service today, we will send you out with this benediction that we would live like Jesus reigns over everything. That's, that is the verse from which we draw that. He alone has authority and power over all of it. And, and for us, collectively, the, the we factor here, you and I experience this together, and I, that, that's kind of how I want to construct this thing over the next few minutes, is just to say, um, for us to recognize, for us to believe that Jesus has authority and power. So let's start in verse 15 again. Perceiving then that they were about to come, and uh, uh, take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. So let's start with authority. Uh, authority sounds like this, that he is king on his own terms. Previously, he had done the miracle where he had fed the thousands upon thousands, where he had fed the multitude, multiplied bread, multiplied fish, miraculous, incredible things. And they said, Jesus, we really like how you're doing things here. We want to vote you in to be king. We're like, we want to make you king. We don't need Caesar anymore. We don't need um, Herod anymore. We don't need any of the local leaders anymore. We can kick all them other people out. If this is the kind of king you're going to be, we want you. He refuses to be king he refuses to be king on our terms. He's already the king. He will not be king on our terms. Our, our terms are too small. Our terms are too short-sighted. Our terms are too um, uh, uh, minuscule or myopic. Our, too, our terms are too... Uh, the, the, the thing where we... Oh, Jesus, you can be king as long as you continue to do the things that we want. He refuses to be king on our terms. He must be king on his own because his kingdom, his terms include climbing on a, uh, up on a cross to die for the sin of humanity to fix what's really broken and not just what appears to be. His terms include rising from the grave, defeating death, both sin, yes, and death, so that you and I can live with him in his kingdom forever. He will not be king on our terms. He will only be king on his. This is not new for Jesus, though. 
um, in uh, the um, early parts of the Gospels, the stories about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, he is tempted by the devil in the, um, uh, uh, in the wilderness. And uh, the, one of the temptations is, hey, you bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll just surrender all of this. Not going to do it. Why? Because he won't be king on any other terms than his own. He did not, secondly, because he has all authority, he did not need their permission or their praise. He withdrew from the mountain. I mean, up up on the mountain. Like all the crowds were there like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, this is awesome. We'll make you king. He's like, "Ah, don't need that. And I don't need permission from you to pull away. I'm just going to pull away. I'm just going to take a step back here. He drew away by himself to pray. A little pastoral parentheses here. And this isn't the main driving point, but let me just put a little uh, uh, parentheses here for you and for me. There are moments when after incredible uh, uh, movements of God or the way that we've seen God work or, or God doing something spectacular or important, there are times when after that fact, one of the best strategies that we could do is to pull away. Because if we stand there and receive the praise and adulation and uh, people being like, oh, oh, yeah, we're going to make you king by something too. If we receive that, then I don't know about you, but at times there can be um, this kind of mental process that goes, yeah, 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 I did this. Yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, I I made this happen. And all the times God, God is going, you knucklehead. No, you didn't. I did this. If we pull away, though, if we step back, if we um, pull back out of all the melee that can follow uh, God doing something really incredible, um, if we step back from, from either uh, uh, the trial that comes, by, uh, that comes by the praise of the people or the temptation that comes by trying to give in to that, if we pull back from that, there can be a proper perspective that says, you know what? God did all this. You know what? I got to be a participant in it. That was pretty cool. But really, it was God. He did not need their permission, and he did not need their praise. He withdrew to the mountain. Um, This story gets told in other Gospels. Um, But we know that he withdrew to the mountain to pray, to be with the Father, to just step back and say, okay, it's good to reset. It's good to recalibrate. It's good to recognize that, man, I don't... I don't want to be um, self-reliant here. I, I recognize what God has done. And lastly, he retains his authority. Because this, he is the authority, he retains this authority. Even when he pulls back, even when he steps away, even when he withdraws to spend time you, um, alone with the Father, he retains this authority. And so verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. In other Gospels, we know that that's because Jesus commanded them to do so. We'll read more about that here in just a minute. They got into a boat and started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It was dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. He retains his authority. He can take bread and can take fish and feed a multitude. And then he has the authority to look at you and me. He has the authority to look at us and say, go down into the sea, go down into the dark, and go down into a storm. Wait a minute, Jesus. I like the feeding of the thousands part. Can you do some more fish and bread thing? Because when you command me to step to go down into the sea, go down into the boat, go into the storm, you're inviting me to chaos is what you're inviting me into. The the sea is the place of chaos. 
It, it is the place where crazy stuff happens. The, the darkness, the darkness, that it, it is the place of, of uh, uh, forces that I don't understand, that I cannot see, and that I cannot identify. I'm going down into the sea, I'm going down into the darkness, and I'm going into a storm. And that storm brings complete and utter uh, disorder and disruption and destruction. Like, this is not good. And the same Jesus who fed the thousands sends them into these things. Sends them into the sea, into the dark, and into the storm. Why is that important? Because for us, there are times when you and I would want and would want to believe, Oh God, you are so good. You feed the thousands and that's amazing. And it's true. The other side of that or an additional aspect of that is he retains his, his authority to be able to say and it's we're going to do something hard here we're going to do something that challenges you here we're going to do something that uh, invites you to a greater level of faith he retains his authority um, to do so second part under this authority as we said earlier and power and power so look at verse uh, 18 again the sea became rough strong wind was blowing when the, and now 19 when they had rowed about three or four miles they saw jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened so just picture you got enough chaos around you and all of a sudden jesus comes strolling by in a different part they're like oh this is a ghost obviously Ah! I mean, it's bad enough, but now it's a ghost. Um, here's what I want to tell you about power. The created order is his to control. He takes fish and loaves. And what does he do? In some incredible, powerful way, the one who created out of chaos is now creating out of the things that are in front of him. He's multiplying fish and loaves. And then he comes walking on the sea, this created order. He is the one who brought water to bear. He is the one who called out dry land. He is the one who um, uh, has control over storms, has control over wind. He's got control over all of it. And yet somehow he comes walking on the water. Now, just because I know we have engineers and scientists in here, people who think like this. How did he do that? I don't know. I've already had a conversation this morning. Did he just like release gravity just under his feet? I mean, like, was that the thing? Did he cause the molecules of the water to come together so tightly that they were solid under his feet? I have no idea. Did he, as he's walking across, did he have to go up and down the waves or did he just split the waves and just kept walking straight? I have no idea. I don't know how he did it, but here's the deal. The created order is his to control. He can do it any of the ways that he chooses to. He can do it. Nothing's too difficult for him. Water can become solid under his feet. In your uh, Bible app, and uh, again, if you've got a Bible on your lap, you can turn to Psalm 77. I just want to... I will remember the deeds of the Lord. This is verse 11, Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters, this is verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, 
They were afraid. Let's just pause right there. We should be afraid of the waters. No, 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 but this is not how it works. The waters were afraid of God. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. Skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. If you were looking at my Bible right now, you would see out beside verse 19 is a particular date. July 12, 2014. Our family was in the midst of chaos. I read that verse in the pediatric ICU of Texas Children's Hospital. And I remember thinking, God, I think we're going to go down here. I, th- I think the waves are going to be too much. And I'm just not sure that we're going to make it through. And then this verse held me fast and created faith to say, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, even though your footprints were unseen. I mean, Jesus says he's walking across the ocean, uh, walking across the Sea of Galilee there. They didn't look back and be like, oh, that's where he walked. No, 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 no. They were unseen. All they know that he was walking, all they knew that he was walking. I'm telling you, our family, as we were walking through this, I was like, God, I don't know if we're going to make it through. Your Your footprints are unseen. And here's the thing. Kind of faith that God birthed in us as we followed him through this is the kind of faith that he wants to do in in all of us here to say, God, yeah, things are kind of crazy. Things are kind of chaotic. Things are weird out there. It's all nuts right now. Your way is through the sea. Your way, you, you, you cut a path right through the great waters. Even though I can't really see what you're doing, even though I can't really understand how you're leading, even though I'm going to trust you and I'm going to continue to follow you as best I can. But here's the thing, just as they made it through their sea, We made it through ours, and you will too. Your footprints were unseen, but he did lead us, and he's leading you too. The invitation, the invitation is to put your trust in him. Everything is under his control. And the the, the power here can inspire both awe and fear. Awe is good. Awe is, God, you're in control, man. I'm going to bow to you here. I'm going to yield my life to you here. I'm going to surrender myself to you here. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to let you be the one who's in control. That's, that's all. Fear. Fear is a different thing. Um, so much so that uh, uh, Paul, thinking about this in his letter, second letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7, says, um, there is a kind of spirit of fear, but that doesn't come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Power, love, sound mind. Power, love, sound mind. This is what God has given us. If the spirit of fear is the opposite of that, then what you have instead of power is substitutes for power. One of the psalmists says it this way, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We don't want to substitute horses and chariots for trust in God. Um, instead of power, in, uh, that, that's power. Instead of love, it's the kind of selfishness that disguises itself as self-protection. 
Love is risky. And instead of um, a sound mind, it's, it's the kind of suspicion that uh, uh, doesn't believe that God's up to something and doesn't believe that God could be up to something in somebody else. That power can inspire awe or fear. And I'm telling you, Fear doesn't, this kind of fear that we're talking about does not come from God. Some of those, some of the, well, let me just, what does it exactly sound like? This is just, I wrote some things down. Here's three of them. Hey, this doesn't sound particularly safe. I'm not sure God's in this. I guess I will handle this by myself. Or, hey, there's some limits to my allegiance here, and you're testing them. That's not a life that reflects um, that Jesus has all the authority and Jesus has all the power. And what I would say about that is some of those who profess their faith in God the loudest are the ones who demonstrate the most fear in their lives. Doesn't have to be that way. Uh, that same year, different room in the hospital, um, I actually took this picture. This... this uh, is looking out from the, I don't know, at that time probably 15th floor or something like that. Looking out, that's kind of the rice area, that kind of thing. Good old Texas thunderstorm in July, see it coming. And what do you have? You got the church right there. The reason I say we, we, There will always be storms. In the first century, there were storms. In the second century, there were storms. In the fifth century, there were storms. In the 20th century, there were storms. In the 21st century, there were storms. People say, uh, well, it's terrible now. It's worse now than it's ever been. I'm not so sure. I think the 21st century and the first century sound a lot alike. There's always storms. But the people who put their trust in Jesus and in his authority and in his power, they stick out even in the midst of storms. And if you're betting against the church, you would have lost money for 2,000 years now. Because God sustains his people by his authority and by his power. Just, well, let me just say it this way. If fear tends to be a thing that jumps up inside of you and seizes you and grabs hold of you, let me just remind you of this. Either God has us or he doesn't. Either this is a reality or it isn't. It's just a nice picture. I'm telling you, I think there's something here that we need to hold on to. God has authority. Jesus has the power. Uh, Look at how he answered. Um, uh, verse, uh, let's see here, 19. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. They were frightened, but he said to them, it's, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I is the uh, Greek phrase, ego eimi, which is not something that you should be all that impressed with, except you need to know that typically, um, there, excuse me, not typically, you can translate it this, it is I. One of the possible translations that happens in other places in John I am. It's a ghost. I am. I am. 
Does that ring any bells? Anybody's mind in the biblical story? Moses at the burning bush? God, uh, what am I supposed to tell him when I show up in Egypt? Just tell him, I am sent you. That's all you got to tell him. I am. It's a ghost. No, no, no. It's I am. Here I am. Here. Authority and power for us to live as God wants us to live. Now, uh, I'll just say that, like, it's, it's amazing that we as a church family get to be a part of this. Amazing. But I want to bring it down um, to not just us, but you and me. Like, not just we, but me. But because I think that's where this kind of thing really takes hold, such that I begin to, I then get to influence others, and I am influenced by others. And like when individual people catch this, it affects families, and it affects small groups, and Sunday school classes, and churches, and other, like kind of in this ever expanding circle. So I, I hope that we get it, yes, but I want me to get it. I want you to get it. And to, to do so, I'm going to just uh, point us backward uh, to Matthew chapter 14. Again, if you're a user of the Bible app, it should be um, in here. But I'm going to start in verse uh, 23, just to, excuse me, 22 to give us some context. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Again, into the sea, into the ocean, or excuse me, into the uh, Sea of Galilee there, um, into the dark. Um, and into the storm. Jesus sent them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. He cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. I am. Don't be afraid. And then Peter, Peter answered him. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. So I want to talk about uh, for you, for us, we've talked about authority and power. And let's talk about for me. Let's talk about for you individually. Um, and Jesus has the authority to say to you, come to me. Now, in Peter's particular case, um, he had doubt. If it's you, Jesus, if it's you. Sometimes our willingness mixed with our doubt is what we have to offer. Jesus can work with that. Why? Because he has all authority. And he says, come to me. So you know, we'll get back to Peter in just a second. This isn't the only time this has happened. Uh, a little bit later, in, uh, excuse me, a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, you will, um, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will have rest for your souls. Does rest for your souls sound good to anybody? That all, it all starts with come to me. In John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From his innermost being shall flow living water. And this he said of the Spirit. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. So not only as the Spirit takes over us and saturates us, not only does it satisfy us, but also it then becomes a well, a, a, a spring flowing up to satisfy others. Come to me and I will make you fishers of men. Come, 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 come. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Yes, you're sitting here mending your nets. Yes, you're getting ready for your work week. Yes, and I'm telling you, I'm going to imbue that net mending with a kind of purpose that says you're not just after fish here. 
you can fish, be a part of the, uh, uh, of the ministry that could only be called fishing for men. You, you, this is what you get to be a part of. Or, Lazarus, come forth out of death, life. Jesus has the authority to do all of that. And in this particular case, Peter, if it's you, let me come to you. Come to me. So, I mean, what is Peter thinking? Right? He's kind of climbing out of the boat. He's a fisherman. He knows the drill. You hold on to the side and you drop down. And what do you do? You go splash into the water. You swim over to Jesus and be like, oh, I'm glad you're here. This is what he thinks. So he throws one leg out, throws it, lowers himself down, and his feet land on something solid. He's like, what is happening? He kind of unsteadily shakes himself all the way um, over to Jesus. This is the authority that Jesus has. but, But don't miss it. Come to me. When he said it to Peter, he was into the water, into the dark, and into the storm. Just like he had commanded them to go collectively. So when Peter's like, oh, just let me come to you. Come. Come on. It was into the water. And into the dark. And into the storm. Lastly, power. I just note here. Look at what happened. Verse 30. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the wind, uh, got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those in the boat worshiped. Truly, you are the Son of God. There's a power that Jesus is able to take hold of you. Now, I think this is important because what this means is that Jesus is able to tolerate our weakness. Some of you live with the idea that that's not the case at all. I have to be strong for Jesus' sake. Uh, Jesus is the one who makes you strong. Like, don't, don't get that backwards. I'm going to show up strong so that Jesus can go, good job. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the one who makes you strong. I'll try to, um, from Peter's, he's like, uh, I'm a little shaky as I'm walking out here on the waves. I'm trying to just make it all the way to you. He gets like right up to him and he's like, holy smokes, what is going on? He begins to sink. Jesus is able to tolerate our weakness. I'll just give you this illustration. Um, for those of you who have raised kids... You remember in that like 10, depending upon your kid, 10 month, like 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 month range, that little window right there where they grew out of a baby stage and became what we uh, kind of affectionately call toddlers. Because depending upon, uh, you know, the stage of their life and development and the stage of their diaper, you know, they walk kind of like this, that kind of thing. This is them. And inevitably, inevitably, there were points where... um, your kid would uh, walk, maybe it was to you, maybe it was from you to an object or whatever, and they would um, either take the one point or the three point landing, one point being just straight onto their face, a three point being knees and face together, right? And you just kind of do that. And uh, if you were the parent, like most of us were, uh, you know, you like release the kid, come here, come here, come here, come here, 
And then you'd back up and back up and back up and back up. Bam! And then they'd go down, right? Or whatever. Whatever it is. You'd see them move from the couch to the a chair. And you're just trying to walk and figure it all out. But here's the thing. Here's what I can like guarantee you in the room. That toddler goes down. Not one of you looked at them and said, Oh God, why did you give me such an incompetent toddler? Get up! Why can't you take steps? Toddlers. Nobody did that. Because you knew that they were toddlers. You knew that they were just trying to figure this out. You knew that their weakness was part of where they were. And you're working that out with them. Some of you think, I need to get strong in order to come to God. Because I don't want Him to have to tolerate my weakness. Because you think, you think that you're going to face plan and God's going to go, Come on. Oftentimes people draw it from places just like this. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You think that Jesus is condemning, condemning Peter. No, he's looking at him going, hey man, you were here. You did it. Come on. Come on. That moment is not condemnation. It's invitation. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. Trust me. Trust me to get here and trust me to continue to be here. You don't have to worry about the way. Just continue to put your eyes on me. It's an invitation to trust him. He is able to tolerate our weakness. And just look at what happened one more time. Verse 31. He reached out his hand and he took hold of it. Jesus is not only able to tolerate your weakness, but he is able to save. Meaning what? That there's not a person in here who's beyond the saving grip of Jesus. Nobody walked in with an addiction that has more power or authority than Jesus. Nobody walked in with a problem or a struggle or a relational issue or a a, a mental health problem challenge or a circumstance or a work deal or whatever. Nobody is beyond the saving power of Jesus. He can reach down into anybody's life and take hold of him or her. There's nothing about you so broken. That Jesus would go, sorry, that's not salvageable. I better just let it sink. Nothing. Nothing. In Isaiah chapter 59, the prophet says this. Do you really think that God's ear is so dull that he can't hear you when you cry out? Lord, save me! And his arm is not so short that he cannot hold you. He cannot save you. He has the power to do exactly that. He proved it by dying on a cross to pay for sin and rising again to overcome death. And that that is why we, we and me, put our trust in his authority and his power. Let me pray for us.
Father, I ask you that um, uh, what's in front of us right now, what you've already said in this moment right here, that it, it would seep down. Getting down into the cracks and crevices of our souls so that we can hold on to it. And I, I pray, Father, that um, as people work through this and process this and think about this, maybe you're pulled out of comfort by this. The routines even that we hold would not dull us. It wouldn't dull us to the spectacular things that you want to do in us and you want to accomplish through us. So, Holy Spirit, uh, just like you did with the waters in Genesis 1, uh, just hover over us in this moment. Do here what you want to do. And Jesus, I know, I know that you've spoken this morning. Please continue to speak. Continue to work. This is what I ask in your name. Amen and amen.